This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for June 14, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Our guest today is Brian Bloom, co-founder, chairman and chief executive officer of the Bloom Burton investment firm in Toronto. Brian will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. To kickstart today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon, here fiddling while the continent burns. With me in our flame-retardant gondola is Mark Smokey McElwain, pharmaceutical industry consultant and life sciences expert, known for his sense of calm while staring down the inferno. Mark, any thoughts you can share about the symbolism of all this? It isn't the political symbolism that's going to make people calm. Better news is this week's big smoke. We can look at it as the exception to a 30-year pattern of better air quality. Thanks to, you know, power generators and other industries that have cleaned up their act. Now, I know that's not going to be an easy argument to make for those with asthma or COPD who are getting their N95 masks out of storage. So maybe our best plan is to try to take a breath, even if it's a shallow one, and carry on. Public service message. Yes, back again with us, unable to constrain himself is James, the fire chief, Shea. General Manager at the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal, where the smoke has been thick, or as it's pronounced, tick. What does it look like today, Jim? Oh, okay, okay. I, I'm getting that undertone. You're talking the politics. Yeah. You know, the Bill 96 and all of that stuff, right? Yeah, okay. Well, you know, historically, Quebec politics has been a regional contact sport, that's for sure. You know, we're used to this yellowish tinge and this uh, particular odor. You know, I call it end of year high school gym locker kind of situation or hockey bag. So, you know, really status quo here when it comes to our air quotes, you know, environment. Right. Well, politics aside, we are your volunteer podcast brigade known simply as Jim, Mark and Mitch because all the inspired brand names have already been snapped up, such as Farsiga and Live Golf. Speaking of branding. I've got a funny story to share with our listeners and with this week's special guest, who happens to be our friend Brian Bloom of the Bloom Burton Investment Firm. So there was a typo in the emails that one of our staff sent to Brian, and we misspelled his name as Brian Boom. And if you know Brian, that's kind of perfect. Uh, we decided that his partner, Julian Burton, should change his name to Julian Bust, and then you'd have the distinguished investment house of Boom and Bust. But I digress. Brian, uh, welcome to the show. More people than ever came to the 2023 uh, Bloomberg Annual Conference last month. It was a big, big event for the life sciences industry in Canada. Uh, here on the NPC podcast, as you know, we like to follow the example of Hockey Night in Canada and pick the three stars of each game. So in your view, Brian, who were the best performers at BB 2023? 
Well, thanks for the question. And of course, thank you for having me back at the gondola here. I can't wait for this episode. I always enjoy doing this and always enjoy being with you. Yeah, Bloomberg and Healthcare Investor Conference in 2023 was a smashing success. We broke every record that we've ever had with respect to attendees and energy and number of investors that attended. I would say that the three stars of the game, number one was our keynote speaker, John Mariganori. He told his story of how he came up with and commercialized RNA genetic medicines in his company called Al Nylum, which has a Canadian subsidiary now, and how he brought five drugs to market. And that was a really inspiring story, something that a lot of Canadian CEOs can aspire to in the biotechnology space. Second, I think, was Carl Hansen at Abcellera. He had a very energetic, wonderful presentation, but really laying out the future for Abcellera, how they're going to surpass a thousand employees in Canada. They're building a huge campus in Vancouver and how they're spending both private and government capital on a new paradigm for antibody discovery. And lastly, I would say a lot of our invited panelists were the third star. They were able to share their views of the market, the volatility and the ups and downs, the boom and bust, as you just said, that we are experiencing in the market. And they help the audience make a lot of sense as to what's going on both in the private and public investment markets. That sounds great. I mean, there must be a lot of pucks being thrown into the audience after that one as the three-star selection goes, for sure. So it's Jim here. Certainly, uh, as an investor too, <laughs> the last couple of years have been pretty, uh, as we'll say, politely described as a horror show for investors in big pharma, biotech, and devices. So is that going to turn around? I think eventually, of course, it's going to turn around. You know, as I said the last time I was on the show, we are in the early to middle innings of a long-term innovation cycle in biotech and pharma and in our understanding of disease and how we can impact that and the way that we're touching patients and improving outcomes. So that's a long-term trend, which will, no matter what's going on in the macro economy, it undeniably will lead to a lot of value creation for those that invest in our sector. Now, with that said, I think that we're coming off of a drunken bull market that peaked in 21. It was probably the weirdest bear and bull and then bear market that we've seen in our lifetimes with COVID being introduced to the world and the stock market taking a 20% correction. And then the stock market continuing to climb for 18 months with fiscal and monetary stimulus and a lot of government spending and things like that. And, you know, all of that peaked. And right now we're just having the aftermath of that, the hangover from all that capital and all those stupid decisions, all those IPOs and all that too much money and not enough good things to invest in. So I think this hangover is going to last at least another year, maybe even longer. But this is the time to be launching, to be building, to be placing your chips on the table, even though it may go sideways and it may be volatile for the next year or more. Great. Thanks. Just for our audience to understand, it's not early innings. It's the first period, right? <laughs> Wrong sport. You're right. Blue Jays are doing okay by themselves. We need we need to support some Leaf fans here. So, you know... Things went very well for you when GSK bought out Bellis for $2 billion. You know, Bellis followed that typical Canadian life science script of, you know, good times, bad times, and now great uh, times, obviously. 
So who or what or whatever, what entity do you think will be the next Bellas or should I say the next boom? (laughs) We have a few good ideas. First about Bellas, it really was a typical Canadian story in that it was on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It had some failures and setbacks, but they really did reinvent themselves. And, you know, they brought in a new drug. And even though it was early stage, they were able to get great sponsorship, some smart investors. They were pulled onto NASDAQ. They were a darling. And then a setback with a equivocal phase two trial. But again, they regrouped and reran their study to great outcome. And then the purchase by Glaxo for $2 billion is a wonderful outcome for Roberto Bellini, the Francesco, their family, and all of their shareholders and employees. Uh, we just closed a $55 million offering for a, a company that reminds me of what Bellis was in 2017, uh, when they were just starting their reemergence. The company that we just raised capital for, it's called Satellos, ticker is MSCL or Muscle on the Toronto Exchange. And they have, they're developing what I believe is the most important drug in the world for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So with their 50 plus million, they now have enough funding to get through phase one and even a small phase two. They too aspire to move and upgrade to NASDAQ. And I think they have an incredibly bright future. The next Bellis, and actually I think it has potential to be much, much bigger. I love how they come up with ticker symbols. That's a good one. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) It's fitting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Brian, it's Mark. So Canada over the years has done pretty well in the life sciences industry. And I'm just wondering if you could comment on how we currently compare to other countries. Do we still do better in in R&D than places like, for example, South Korea? I would say that we punch at our weight, maybe even above. We remain really capable at translating academic insights into startups that then scale and grow. We have access to both capital in Canada from VCs and other investors. And of course, capital is fungible and doesn't really respect boundaries. So capital is easy to move from the United States and Europe and Asia into Canadian companies. So that's what Bloomberton does so well, attract international capital for Canadian growth companies. But at the end of the day, Canadian companies are ultimately judged by their ability to get drugs and medical products developed and towards approval and in market and then successful in market. And we've been able to do that, I would say, uh, on pace with every other jurisdiction. What Canada really lacks and what we're limited by is the number of senior you know, CEOs or management teams that really have been there and done that and done it many times. I often joke, you know, there are five or six good CEOs in Canada in healthcare companies. And unfortunately, they're all already employed. But it just takes time for those that work underneath the CEO to work themselves up to be the CEOs of the future, for those mid-level managers to gain their experience so that they can contribute and start their own companies. All of this was done in places like Boston and New York and San Francisco, but they had a couple decades head start on the Canadian ecosystem. Remember, many years ago in Canada, we had just divisions of big pharma like Merck and Janssen and Pfizer Canada. And we had Connaught and we pretty much had nothing else. (laughs) We didn't really have much of an innovative industry of startups that then scale and that uh, do development and ultimately commercialize. So given that our young entrepreneurial sector is only a few decades old, we're actually doing quite well. And I'm very proud of our, our ecosystem. 
So during the conference, you had discussion of big data and drug discovery that's computer-aided. I'm just wondering whether you can talk about some other cutting-edge tech trends in the healthcare industry that are particularly promising or exciting. So big data and using artificial intelligence for discovery is one. You attach the AI monkeyer. You just have to look at NVIDIA stock in on NASDAQ. I was trying to stay away from those words. Well, you know, it, now every company is an AI company, right? Whether they are or not. It seems that any company with a laptop, they just call themselves an AI company, uh, hoping that their stock responds. That is an important trend. A lot of people are looking to accelerate, you know, from target to lead molecules based on non-wet lab or in silico uh, small molecule design and optimization. So that's obviously big. So beyond using AI and computers to better make new drugs, the other major trend in the biotech industry is genetic medicines and the number of new modalities that we have to actually translate an idea or a new insight into a disease into what a therapy can be. You know, 50 years ago, we had teams and teams and scores of chemists at Merck and Pfizer and Upjohn and all these pharma companies that we're trying to make small molecules, the Tylenols and ibuprofens of the future, NSAIDs. And then biologics came along in the later 70s and 80s. But nowadays, you know, we can have genetic insight into disease and actually make genetic medicines in the form of gene editing and gene therapy. And as I mentioned before, like John Mariganori's company, Alnylam, you know, RNA vaccines and RNA therapies based on RNA chemistry. So we have all these new tools, which only came around they were only dreamed up and thought of as possible maybe 20 years ago, and they just became a reality in the past 10 years, and everything is really accelerating. So the toolkit that we have to pull out, to actually use to make new drugs has dramatically expanded and modernized, and, and that's the other major trend besides the whole AI and big data aspect of drug discovery. We're talking about money, drugs, and fall fashions and evening wear with Brian Bloom of Bay Street's Bloom Burton Group here on the NPC podcast. So Brian, just going back to your earlier comment to Jim about this being a good time for contrarians to launch things, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs and startups looking to attract investment in healthcare? That's a tough question because the answer may be different depending on what kind of healthcare company you have. But you know, the overarching theme is in bad markets where capital is scarce and there's less capital to go around, yet it's still available. You just have to consider that the hurdle is higher. So you just have to be that much better of a story and of a value proposition and of an investment idea to actually justify the capital. Whereas a couple of years ago in the bull market, when, you know, even crappy things were getting funded, you know, the bar was lower. You know, all you had to have was a good idea and a, and a nice smile and you could probably attract capital. So you really need to focus on driving value across the entire healthcare ecosystem from, you know, pharmacoeconomic value, value-based healthcare, ultimately improving outcomes and saving the system money through alternatives such as surgeries and other costs in the system. So driving value in healthcare is overarching. And you really have to stretch and think really hard as to how you can be world-class and best in class. I know that's a crazy statement, just be the best in the world. But, you know, Me Too doesn't cut it when there's capital scarcity. Being the, the fourth statin that does the same thing may have worked in an okay market, but it doesn't work today. 
So what is getting funded is not just crazy Star Trek cutting edge science, but actually thinking through and developing that lead program that you can demonstrate will be best in class. And it's not just in drugs, it's in devices or service delivery, or even in a digital solution as well, anywhere in the healthcare industry. There's one other aspect that is also gaining a lot of traction in this market is you're only as good as your lead program. So a couple of years ago, you could get a lot of value reflected in your stock or in the value of your company by promising to have a deep pipeline and a brilliant future bringing lots of different programs forward. But also in this era and this current environment of capital scarcity, you're only as good as your next data readout, your next quarter of growth or of revenue reporting. You're only as good as your next major value inflection point. And that is forcing boards and management teams to focus on really moving the needle and focusing on their most promising asset or assets instead of trying to build the big fluffy blue sky story of you know platforms and being everything to everyone in the sector. So that's another major trend. It's Jim here. That's very interesting. Like you've talked about you know, specific challenges and general opportunities that, you know, you have to step up to the plate. It's uh, table stakes for certain things. Are there any specific opportunities you see in the future that uh, you might be able to talk about specifically of, you know, where you see some amazing potential? Yeah, that's a good question, Jim. I would say that there aren't specific areas, disease areas, or subsectors of healthcare that are sort of shining or sticking out right now. It really goes down to their opportunities everywhere to improve products that are on the market, how we do healthcare, how we deliver it, and to improve patient outcomes and to empower patients and educate patients and everyone in the ecosystem. So there are opportunities everywhere, which really makes each individual startup or entrepreneurial pursuit its own special situation. So every single company just needs to raise the bar and be the best at what it's trying to be. Very interesting. And I, I guess what's going to happen too is some of those people or areas that are being represented by people coming to the Bloom Burton Award Gala are going to be attending. So who could we expect to see at the gala this year? I'm so excited. So of our two major events that we put on for the ecosystem in Canada each year, we've already talked about the Bloom Burton Healthcare Investor Conference. The Bloom Burton Award Gala is the second one. So we actually are going into our seventh year of giving away the Bloom Burton Award, which is effectively an Oscar for best performance. It's not lifetime achievement. It's not best movie or best picture, which would be like best company. It's a very unique award that each year celebrates a leader in our sector broadly who did extraordinary things in the past 12 months, like in the past year which actually means it's an award that someone could be nominated for or win more than once. As I like to say, there's a Jack Nicholson or a Meryl Streep somewhere in our sector who could take the stage many, many times. So this year, we are thrilled to have received nominations from the public at large, and our independent judges have chosen three finalists. Stephen Dilley, who led Sierra Oncology, a little British Columbia-based company, and the myelofibrosis and hematologic cancer space to an amazing phase three outcome and a sale to GlaxoSmithKline for $2 billion. Next, we are celebrating Ian Mortimer, who leads a company called Xenon, 
Pharmaceuticals, also in Vancouver, in British Columbia. And Xenon is now the largest Canadian biotechnology company by market capitalization. It's about $3.5 billion, and he's in phase three with one of the world's most important epilepsy drugs coming to market. And lastly, the brothers, Dave and Mike Wessinger, who have a company in Toronto area called Point Click Care, which is the biggest digital health or health software company that no one's ever heard of. They have thousands of employees. They do half a billion in revenue, and they have one of the most important software programs for geriatric acute care. And it's used all over the world. And, you know, they're being celebrated for a big monetization and investment and a couple acquisitions that they made that really scaled their company last year. So, you know, I'm excited to put on the tuxedo, shine the shoes, come to the Four Seasons with 400 of our friends and to celebrate our sector in a way that Canadians don't often do. You know, it's a very un-Canadian thing to celebrate success. Usually we're too polite. We're too shy. We're too stupid to do that. But we put all that aside and we unabashedly celebrate these success stories. Right. Well, that's why Mitch has never told us that we want anything for doing this. So uh, I guess, you know, we're just too abashed for that. So talking about awards. <laughs> we'll nominate you for a con smite. Oh, okay. There you go. We're really pushing the edge, cutting edge stuff. You know, I'm a big believer in recognition and, and reward and award. So, you know, in your opinion, what does the role of recognition and awards play in your area of, uh, of business? I think by really shining a light on those that succeed, it has the great benefit of being able to inspire not just students, but even other entrepreneurs, peers, contemporaries to those leaders to celebrate these kinds of outcomes too. Also clearly demonstrates what can happen from very humble beginnings or when you just start with an idea or a napkin plan. You know, a lot of these companies were non-companies. They were academic ideas or there was some guy just sitting in his garage with a dream or a, a back of the envelope idea. And look at how some of these companies, Canadian companies, can attract people, attract capital, attract customers, generate data, scale, and do so globally. So I, I think that it has the best benefit of being the ultimate example of what everyone else can aspire to. Yeah, I think you talked about the guy or girl in the garage. It can be a pretty lonely business. And it's these types of events where people are out there, you know, there's energized and, and a lot of people end up being more committed to what they're doing too. So yeah, I, uh, you know, great job. Thank you. Each year we put these beautiful videos together, which you can find on YouTube of each of the finalists. And what's common in each video too is not just humble beginnings, but a rocky road, right? The peaks and valleys of entrepreneurialism and of risk-taking. You know, usually at the end of these videos, it's all triumphant and trumpets in the background. And we sold our company, the drug was approved, we cured the disease and, you know, and triumph. But Every single video has that portion or more than one period where they're talking through how they were, how they almost didn't make it, or they screwed up and needed to claw their way back, how they almost went bankrupt, or something almost did them in, or how you know they couldn't make payroll and they figured out how to make it through. Every ultimately successful outcome tells the story of the struggles that they went through and the troughs they went through. And that's inspiring too. Well, that's an inspiration. You got it right there for me. It's it's very inspiring. Yeah. It's human, right? Nothing's a straight line. Certainly not this podcast. No, <laughs> we're zigging and zagging. 
Brian, it's Mark again. So as we're winding down the podcast, we invite you to play our word association game. So just go ahead, say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words. All right, I'm ready. So you're, you're ready. Okay. Using AI in investment research. Nonsense. Incubator centers like Mars. Well-meaning. Leadership. Scarce. Diversity. Important. And the Bloom Burton and Company Awards. Inspiring. Very good. And uh, we were given points for uh, truth and honesty there. Again, I think a Googleplex or a plethora or, you know, one one huge amount of uh, of points for that one. Uh, Jeopardy winner for sure. So so it's Jim, obviously. Uh, you know, finally, we're going to take some time now to look into your soothsayer's hat. And we know we have certain constraints that you're allowed to go into and whatever. Prognostication corner spelt with a K for knife because we're cutting edge on this stuff. You know, what kind of bold predictions you have to make about the life sciences industry during the next 12 to 24 months? Or I don't know, is that an investment horizon? You, you choose. Go ahead. No, it, that's, that's a great way to put it. I, I can make some bold predictions. Firstly, I think that the investments that are made now, even if we don't know that they're going to bear fruit, or at least the public market investments, we'll see a lot of volatility and a lot of sideways tracking, or we could be in this trough for a very long time. I think that the investments that are made now are going to pay off handsomely, better than we've seen since I would say the last financial crisis of 2008. You know, had you invested in anything in 2008 through 10, you would have done incredibly well. You would have made multiples investing in, you know, risky companies, not risky companies. I think we're in the same environment. It's when the fear index is highest that you should be boldest in making investments. But, you know, another prediction is, you know, the healthcare industry for the first time in a very long time is facing it's probably biggest threat ever from the United States market, from you know legislation like the uh, the IRA, and from policies from CMS and Medicare, and what's coming out of through executive decision and by the White House, just these new rules that make the United States a less profitable and less attractive marketplace to commercialize in than it was previously. I don't think people appreciate that. I mean, we certainly do here in Canada because launching drugs or products in Canada that are barely reimbursed, where we ration healthcare and we don't reward innovation, we know that it's impossible to make a business just in Canada. The whole global healthcare industry depends on the profits that are available from the US market. And right now that's being tinkered with and that could have serious, serious implications for everyone's math not just investment math, but how anyone makes a decision as to whether they deploy capital, even in the direction of healthcare versus every other sector. So that's a major headwind that I see on the entire sector. But that even further raises the bar as to how good an idea needs to be to actually bring it to market and invest in it. Again, imposing even greater discipline on investors and entrepreneurs and everyone in our sector as to what we focus on, what we invest in, and how we spend our time. Oh, it's interesting. I, you know, I get that image. We in Canada, that's what we get for sleeping next to the elephant, right? But Brian, it's always fun when you join us in the gondola. Can't help but think it's time you had your own trademark sign-off line, such as Jim Cramer when he says, uh, 
there's always a bull market somewhere. Anything come to mind right now as for your sign off? I would just say bada boom. <laughs> That's good. That has legs. Thank you very much. So to our listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll speak to you again next week. If you've got questions for Brian, you can reach him by sending an email to health at chronicle.org. Any comments about today's conversation? Here's a suggestion. If you attach your question as a short voice clip, you might just find yourself part of a future episode. Think of it. It will be Jim, Mark, and Mitch, featuring your name here. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and remember to share it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or try this out. Just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube or TuneIn Radio. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. As for me, this is your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, with help from John Evans. Research for this program came from Amy Ray Elder. The musical theme is performed with ferocity by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of Maestro Mervyn Milbrook. We'll speak again next week.